writing a book in the book writing process is a little bit like stepping into the 1950. If I don't know how to write a book on how to do this, what the hell have I been doing with my life for the last 20 years? I mean, I've got a friend who has sold like 40,000 copies of their business book and they get paid like two and a half grand a speaking gig. My ego wants to say I'm a Sunday Times business bestseller. I literally grew up thinking I'm going to write stories and I'm going to be a journalist. I actually pitched the proposal for Brand Yourself after I was on holiday with Adrienne and had a couple of too many wines. Welcome back to the podcast. You're listening to episode number 200 and something of Starting the Conversation. I'm your host, Alice Benham, here this week with Lucy Werner, who is a PR expert for small businesses and an author and has also traveled the furthest a guest has ever traveled <laughs> to be on the podcast. Welcome, Lucy. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. You've come from the south of France. I've come from the south of France. Not specifically for this podcast, but I'm going to pretend that that is <laughs> it where was, this podcast I is I had at. this, yeah, we just kind of manifested it with each other in the cloud and knew it was going to happen. <laughs> it just, our schedules beautifully aligned. And they did align. I was like, I'm here for three days. And I was like, fantastic. I've got a cancellation. <laughs> the studio's free. 8am. See you there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Just a bit of context. What is What was the move to France? Because you were based <laughs> in London, right? Yeah. With your business. Yeah. And what I guess what I find so interesting about it is that we run small businesses to be flexible and be remote, yet all of us work from spare bedrooms. And do nine to five, and then we get the guilt and we when we don't work yeah. during the day. Was yeah. that part of the tran- transition? That was part of it. Um, I think when you leave corporate if you've ever been in corporate before you set up small business there's this feeling of like I'm outside of the matrix Mm. and then I think that kind of doubled down for me a bit in lockdown that I was kind of feeling really like we could do it from anywhere and actually one of my first ever clients Jim from Jimmy's Ice Coffee knows me and my husband right and when I approached him to endorse my book he was like, why are you guys living in Hackney if you guys could live anywhere in the UK? Like, wouldn't you want to live by the sea? Yeah. And that's definitely sparked a seed. And then we were like, well, if we're going to live by the sea, Kai has to be the French Riviera because that's where my husband's from. If you're going to do has it. Has to be. Do it right. Yeah. And then kind of on a more sort of like personal note, which would probably be a bit of an overshare for first thing in the morning. Go for uh, it. When my second child was born, he had four rare congenital heart defects. And he's now three, he's totally fine, day in, day out, he's fine. He will need further open heart surgeries. But when something really traumatic like that happens to you, afterwards you do have a bit of a, it's not actually all about money. Yes. It's not all about, for me, my business success. I could work 80 hours, I could work 100 hours. I'm a workaholic, I could definitely do that. But I don't think necessarily when you work that hard, you're always working in the most clever way for your Mm -hmm. business. And I just felt he had some life-saving surgery when he was six days old, that he was such a miracle to keep him that I kind of feel that, not that pressure, but I was like, I need to, I can't just keep living in, I'm still had like one foot in the matrix. Yeah. So I was like, I need to get out of it. And also because we're so near to Nice, I can come back to London all the time, like here today. Yeah. So we still work with, I'd say we're probably about 60% UK based still. And then rest is like, Europe and US. Mm, interesting. But it is always those times, isn't it? Like the most challenging times, you often leave with a lot of clarity on what's important to you. Yeah, I think it gave me the confidence. I think everybody will say like, oh, that's my dream. Funny enough, when we, we were obviously talking before this about like recording a podcast or writing a book, all of these things, like that's people's dreams. Yes. And now it's kind of there, like I don't really have an excuse to not do this now. Especially when you run a business. Yeah. That's what always makes me laugh. How often, and I'm saying this about myself more than anyone else, you know, we'll moan about like something that's annoying us in our workload and I'm like we have literally infinite control and enough privilege for a lot of us to actually just make this change happen yeah 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 and after a while it gets quite boring just talking about something being a dream doesn't it (laughs) and then you have to end up doing it yeah 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 so to segue that nicely was writing a book a dream for you there's two answers to this I guess in one way as a child I actually always wanted to be a writer not a non-fiction writer I wanted to be a writer and I literally grew up thinking I'm going to write stories and I'm going to be a journalist and then I went to school and academia just knocked that out of me so there was kind of that as like a child dream really Mm. and then secondary when I left corporate to set up The Wern, which I think was in 2014, I was suddenly back on the shop floor again because I had been an account director. So I was managing teams, running spreadsheets, looking at new business. And I thought, oh, I need to remember how to like actually take clients out there and implement the tactics, not just talk it. I'd still been doing it a bit, but I was like, I just feel like I wanted a refresher. So I started buying loads of PR books. 
and most of them were written by men. So fine, guys, I like you, but I was like, well, there's enough. But the PR industry is dominated by women. It's like 70% nearly in the UK. Mm. So I was like, where are all the female PRs writing books about PR? And the other thing that really annoyed me was it was all ex-journalists telling you how to do PR. Interesting. And I was like, again, if you want to learn how to pitch to a journalist, listening to a journalist is a great thing to do. But for me, PR and publicity is everything you do in the public space. It's mm. everything to do with managing your reputation. Pitching to a journalist is just publicity. Yeah. Like it's just one strand of public relations. It's not the whole wheelhouse. Mm. And for me, I was like, there's this whole strategy piece missing of like, why are you even doing it in the first place? Because for a lot of small business owners, it might be actually you don't need to be pitching to a journalist. You need to be working on your email database. Completely. And we'll talk more later about kind of what PR actually is, because I'm so interested by your approach. of, And it makes so much sense. Like, well, when you look at the words public relations, that says nothing about it being just about press. Yeah. It's like yeah, public yeah, yeah. relations is surely every touch point you have with the public, which is any people. Yeah. yeah. Like this business. is PR, like right now, the way... Even you're aligning yourself with me by choosing me to be on your podcast. Mm. You know, whenever you do a panel event, it's who you're sat alongside. All yeah. of that is part of your reputation management. Because that's something I really noticed with the book space. I was looking recently more in kind of the marketing world of like, what is there for people who want to learn about marketing through a book? And similar to you, everything I found was just so dry. It's so dry. I think I saw like the, the biggest marketing book is marketing for dummies yeah. you know those massive yellow ones that are just yeah, yeah. full of information yeah, yeah. and I find it so interesting that kind of the spaces that we're in of people who are maybe doing things in a slightly more modern way or approaching things with a bit more I don't even know what it is but just doing things a bit differently haven't yet all brought that into a book capacity yeah why do you think that is it's weird I guess a lot of the people in our space are in the digital world and books is actually very traditional actually writing a book in the book writing process is a little bit like stepping into the 1950s mm. <laughs> it's so weird um it's very traditional there's not a lot of information now on the sales and marketing like there are a few publishers who I think really push the envelope when it comes to promotion and digital but even now, like the amount of publishers that I'm surprised hardly promote themselves on social media, yeah. for example. So if you've got social media people looking at publishers on social media and they're thinking, well, that doesn't look great, then there's kind of a gap there. I guess also as well, there's an instant gratification with digital yes. marketing. I was just thinking that. But the book writing... It's long. It's a marathon. The writing bit's not the hard bit because you probably, if you're an expert in a subject matter, you probably know the questions you're asked or the myths you want to dispel or the problems that you feel like this is how I can help so many people. Or maybe you've already got your own business model that you can bring in a DIY format, knowing that some people are going to then read that and go, OK, I want you to actually do that for me. I think on the other side, you write it, you have this fear of like, oh, my God, everything I've written is terrible. Everybody has that moment. You hand it over to a development editor and then you sit tight and then you have to wait for somebody you've never met before to tell you if anything you've written makes any sense or if the writing's any good or anything else. Uh. And then for me, at least, the way my process works, after the development editor checks it, you then might have beta testers to give feedback and then you start going through the edits. And for me, the editing process is horrific. It's like, how many times have you done an Instagram caption and then gone, oh, that's not quite right. Oh, I'm going to tweak like it. that times a thousand. Yeah, <laughs> is that. And also if you have contributors, which most of us do because we want to bring in other experts if we're not mm. fully knowledgeable in a space, you've then got to make sure that they proofread it in time, that they're happy with what they said, that their job title is still the same, the way they describe themselves is still the same. Yeah. And then for me, at least with my book deal, once it was written and all finished, it was basically three months then until it launched and you're in the pre-launch period. Like, I hate this and I've got to start promoting it. Yeah. <laughs> and when you think of kind of what's the other option of how you can maybe do that digitally, like, OK, I could make an online course. Yeah. Well, you can create that if you want to Overnight. very quickly. You get sales very quickly. It's pro possibly more profitable in terms of you know, maybe the price point could be higher, maybe the profit's then higher as a result. So I guess you can understand how side by side the process and how yeah. much goes into it does feel difficult to comprehend. Yeah. What was it for you then that when you were looking at getting a book deal, like what piqued your interest there? Why did you still choose to have a book? I think I recognised I left the corporate space because I wanted to help some business owners with PR and 
but there's still only a level that I can reduce my rates when I was paying for an office and a team and it still wasn't affordable for so many people starting out mm. so I just thought there's this real gap there for DIY and it was kind of really before online was really online courses were really taking off like I had a kind of idea to do an online course but I had no idea where to mm. start so for me the book seemed the easiest way to just produce something and I guess because I consume so many books I'm like there's a real gap here and yeah. I'm and I'm gonna fill it so at that time as well I was an agency owner more like I had a team and I wanted to move more into teaching and DIY and kind of pivoting what I did so that when I had my children I'd be able to not necessarily be doing the hours I'd been doing before and could maybe get paid for my expertise because I really enjoy the kind of teaching and workshop part of it. Like I still like to have a few clients because mm. I like to dip my toe in. But I was like, the book's going to give me a real opportunity to have like a, a physical business card. And it's such a cool resource to be able to kind of direct people to yeah, and have yeah. within your business. Like, I don't know if you find this, but I notice when I do so much work one-to-one, -one, I kind of get frustrated of, like, no one really sees what I do. Like, it's so hard to, to, show, to it. show it on kind of a mass scale without it becoming, like, you know, losing its impact. And actually, I can imagine, you know, having almost like a handbook that you can create that's like, here's part here's of my everything. brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think also as well for me, we talked about this before we recorded, it isn't the moneymaker. Like, I don't make a lot of money from my book directly. But the opportunities that it's opened me, like it's led to me getting speaking work, workshops, getting booked to record other courses with other platforms, like all mm -hmm. kinds of stuff that I didn't imagine. So for me, it was kind of a actually, even like the moving to France bit, like when you were saying, we tested out living in France for three months first. And in that time, I didn't have any paid client work. It was all, my business is split into two. I have the one like consultancy where I do it for people. And then I have like Hype Yourself to go with the book, which is like the DIY arm and through that I do a lot of teaching or workshops so I work with brands to give tips and advice and for three months that was completely paying for my life wow so I was like right I can actually do this so whereas before this was like 80 percent of my work that's really interesting yeah it's definitely something I noticed when I was looking into like just books as a whole and actually what they could look like for business owners I realized very quickly, like, yeah, money is not, like, direct money, no. like you said. Maybe a bit of a myth that it's a crazy moneymaker in that way. But I'm interested, did you notice at all any part of the decision was also down to kind of a, I think ego's the wrong word, yeah. but almost a, like, this is a really cool thing. Like, this feels quite exciting. It's maybe a bit of a marker of success. Maybe it says something to other people about your business and and being respected by a publisher for them to want you to write a book on the topic. Yeah, I think that the ego question came in actually after I did my book proposal. So I did a book proposal course. It was a hundred pounds at the time, which was a few years ago. And it's a 10 day course and you map out your book proposal. And my publisher awards one person at the end of that challenge a book deal. So I was like, oh, I, I thought maybe I was just gonna go away with this book proposal and start sort of pitching it out. And when she offered me the book proposal, I was immediately like ecstatic. So I was like, wow, somebody actually wants to publish me. Like this feels huge. And I imagine it must be a little bit like for a singer songwriter, when you get an indie label, you have that sort of second of doubt where you're like, <gasps> But actually, do I want Warner yeah. Music or do I want Sony? Like, do I want the bigger mm. label? And I, I think that was my ego wrestling point of like, do I need to be with like Penguin Random House, who I know have like 75% of the book slots in national media or something? Or am I happy to be with a smaller publisher? And it kind of came down to, I loved my editor. She's really about supporting women in business and female writers as much as I think anyone in the publishing industry is to kind of really champion equality as much as she can. Mm. And I really liked her. I liked the way she gave me feedback. And I just thought ultimately, like, we're working together. She recognized something in me and I, I kind of felt like I felt safe with her. And also, I guess it was two other things. I had a friend in legal so they could check my contract. So I knew that I was getting a, a kind of better than average royalty payment. Nice. We all love our friends that work in corporate. They yeah. just get texts every now. And again, yeah, like, yeah. can I just borrow your brain? Can you just check this out? I didn't love how some of the other books on her portfolio looked. Right. But I knew that we could have a bit of stage direction with that. Mm -hmm. So I felt quite confident that I'd have some brand control over it. Because when you're with a major publisher, if they choose what your book cover looks like, mm. that's kind of it. If you hate it, it's not really... Yeah. They don't care. I know people whose names of their books have been changed without their consent like I think they must have agreed to it in the end yeah but it really wasn't their decision yeah and they weren't happy with it and you think yeah. that 
as people who are so used to autonomy, where we get to control everything, yeah, I can appreciate that's a really big part is actually how much creative control are you gonna get and how collaborative can that process be? Mm. Especially because of how long, by the sounds of it, it goes on for. Yeah. You know, I'm sure you'll have those moments where you look at a client or a contract and you think, hey, it's quick, so I can get, you know, even if it's bad, it's fine, it ends quick. Yeah, yeah. If your book situation isn't good, you've got that for a good year and a half. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> and I find it really surprising how many people's books don't align with their businesses, either from the content or the title or even visually. And I'm not saying it has to be like a color match or a like for like, but when it's completely disparate, like not even same sort of font families or the same sort of feeling when you're looking at like the website and the book, I'm like, yeah. why have you done that? Where's your consistency? Like we're small business owners, like we need to keep our markers strong. Consistent touch points. Would you say that's one of the biggest tips for how to write a book that kind of strategically benefits your business? In an ideal world, you have thought about what the lifetime cycle is. So after they buy the book, where do they go next? Mm. For me, with both my books, they have playbooks that go with the books. So hopefully they come to my website and I've and then I've got the I've got them to like try and play with later. Nice. Some people have like online courses that accompany their books. I think there's a lot more innovation to come in that space of taking the book virtually afterwards that we I think we're only scratching the surface of that yet. Yeah. I think like downloads and courses is gonna become quite mainstream and boring at some point. Mm -hmm. But I also think it's the difference between like I'm a service based business. I've got twenty years experience. For me, there's like this is the process how I work. And I just want to help people who've got no money to learn how to do that. Yeah. I think there's definitely people who want a book for the ego. Mm. And maybe the content doesn't align with what they're doing two or three years later. And that can be problematic because then it's almost a wasted opportunity. Yes. If you've then moved on to something else. So as much as I'm into these sort of multi-hyphenate careers, if you're continually changing the beat of your drum, mm. it's hard for your audience to come with you on that journey. Yeah, so I guess there's something in there around if slash when you get offered the book deal or you start sending out proposals, you know, and I know we all can't fully plan it, but almost try and do it at a time where you know, okay, the current business I'm sitting on is at least gonna be consistent for a few years. I think at least five years. Yeah, because even like, with you saying it takes a year plus to get it to print, Yeah, I've known in my business even, it's changed dramatically even within a year. Yeah. So I can completely appreciate that need to just ask the question of like, this might benefit me now, but it's not coming out now. Yeah, yeah. Will this benefit me, like you said, in three to five years? Because it is essentially a brand building and PR tool for you. Mm. And like my husband always says like, get bored of your brand and then sit for two years before you change it. Because there can be this real tendency, especially like Instagram trends for people to change colors all the time or yeah. change fonts all the time. There's a real opportunity for your audience to just lose you and not remember who you are. Like people know who I am for the bright colors that I've got mm. and that's not gonna suit everybody. My personality doesn't suit everybody. And that's okay, it's not supposed to. It's there as a visual and you remember it. Yes. So yeah. I was thinking actually like the course you recorded for Domestica, yeah. it was very much like looking at your Instagram page but on a live set. But I think other people have done domestic courses and I'm like this I don't it, this doesn't align with you at all and when I recorded my domestic course people were like oh, it looks so much like your book and your brand and I'm like of course what did you expect <laughs> there's no other option what did you expect but I was like they asked me for a mood board I gave them everything yes. in my office and I took my own office props with me yeah so I can literally you know move my brand to different mm. parts of the world and it still feel like it's me. Yes. And your brand does go that deep. Like even we're sat here today, I'm dressed in all black and white and you're <laughs> yeah. sat in a bright dress and, and bright shoes. <laughs> it's like you embody your brand in every touch point, don't you? It's so true. A book can just be a great accessible way to just have yeah. that next It's like don't lose that as an opportunity for it to fully be who mm. you are. On that note though, if you're saying like kind of there is a timeliness to it, how did you know it was the right time? Because I know, at least for me, like I've been thinking since the start of my business, so oh, I'd love to write a book. But how do you know when it's, I guess there is no right time, I can imagine. But what does that decision look like? I got the book deal in my second trimester of my second pregnancy. Wow. So I had six months to get it written before I gave birth. So that's what my timeline <laughs> looked like. I Life don't think made the time I don't think you. anything makes you more efficient than a second trimester in pregnancy. I guess especially <laughs> when you've already got a baby. It's yeah, not like, it's this like, is first time let's around. Get, let's whip this through. There's never time. There's never a right time to write a book because it takes time to do it. And everybody also writes in different ways. I know people who would just clear out a week or two weeks and they'd sit with headphones on and just bash it out. Mm. I was more of a, 
um, I started off trying to do it on a Friday because I was like, that's a calm day. Yeah. Then I realized that actually by Friday I was knackered. Last thing you want to do is sit and write. Yeah. So then I switched it to doing it on Monday mornings because I was like, actually, I'm I'm a morning person. I like the start of the week. Mm. So I was like, okay, Mondays is going to be my writing day. And then I would set myself like goals of like, this is when I need to get it written by. Like, you know, 3,000 words this week or whatever. And then I'd miss the deadlines and I'd have to play like catch up with myself and also getting contributors like that is the bit like I had a spreadsheet where I mapped out every single chapter every single segment every single person I was inviting and in my second book I really focused more on diversity and inclusion mm. because I think I think there was a bit of a swathe of all of us that after the murder of George Floyd were like we need to be doing more my com commencement in that journey was doing some DNI work with a lady called Vanessa Below I was like she's amazing I'm going to get her to talk about building DNI into build into the pillars of your brand strategy because that was actually something she taught me. It's not a tactic; it actually should be yes. part of your brand strategy. So I invited her to be part of the book, and then I started thinking, I'm going to get cancelled because I don't have enough diverse people as contributors to my book. And I remember sort of speaking to her about it because I was really worried that I didn't know enough people from broad backgrounds, mm. and I was like, actually, I can only invite who I know or who I have a connection with. I'm not gonna just do it as a tick box exercise. And actually I can hold my hands up to say, there is a bit of a gap in who I've got connections with. And that's actually work for me to do to yeah. make more friends and connections and business relationships in the different spaces. But I literally had like sleepless nights about the contributor list and mm. it being like ethical enough, I mm. guess. And even in the first book, maybe thinking, I didn't do a good enough job in that one. What if somebody goes back to that one and then checks it? And yeah, because uh, it's a very, not to add to the anxiety, <laughs> but just to say I can understand that because it's a very kind of final yeah. piece of what, you know, it's not like the online space where you yeah. can delete something. Yeah, if somebody gets canceled and you've had them in your book, you can't, you can't just delete that. You can't be that taking is there. that one back. That is decisions. there. But there's benefit in having contributors, right? That's something I didn't even really understand happened with books until there was a couple I was asked to be a part of a few years ago. And I was like, oh, it's actually a really cool aspect to it to be able to bring different voices in. It's for so many reasons. It's great if you're getting the opportunity, if you've got the privilege to have a book and then to give that platform to other people in your network, I yeah. think it's an amazing opportunity there for you to help pull up your friends around mm. you. So I think that's one. Second of all, like in my first book, I am not a PR expert in everything. There yeah. are still spaces I need to learn. I've not done a huge amount of radio and TV, for example. And I wanted to interview different journalists from different sectors. So it was like, if you're pitching to a features writer, it's this way. If it's an opinion editor, it's this way. And I met with a radio producer and he told me how he looks for guests to produce his radio show. And I was like, I had no idea about that. So even myself, I was learning through the process of writing the book. Mm -hmm. And now there's like bits of information that I gleaned from that conversation, like one of them being media.info, which is a website that has all of the regional broadcast channels on there. So if you're looking, you know, if you live in Kent or Birmingham and you wanna know what the radio shows are or the magazines in your area, it's there. Oh wow. I was like, that's a great free resource for people that mm -hmm. I only found out about because I interviewed the radio producer yeah. from a book. And there was other things like I, for Hype Yourself, I interviewed Kate Manda, who at the time was the talent booker for Stylist Magazine. And she was like, do you wanna go for a coffee? And I almost like fell off my chair <laughs> because I felt like I'd spent years trying to pitch to Stylist. And here there was somebody at Stylist saying they wanted to meet me. And actually everything she told me about booking guests for Stylist Live or booking experts for um, the any kind of brand partnership work they did was so similar to the PR pitching process to getting a press article. Mm. So I was like, actually the, the whole writing of that book, I really learned that it's actually the pitch is the most important bit. So I think, yeah, like having contributors is great for so many reasons. Did you also find it helped with the promotion of the book? No. <laughs> really? No. I thought I thought it would. I think I let a ball drop on that one. I've seen some people who've done it really well, um, like Tova Lee. Um, she had a book called Fucked After 40. She gifted out the book. She had like a launch party. And she, I don't know if it's because there's a outside of English culture. So I think in, in Britain, we're very like 
nervous and reserved. She's she's slightly more ballsy. She's slightly more kind of go-getting. And literally the day before the book came out, I got an Instagram DM being like, hey, Lucy, like here's a reminder of what to say tomorrow. Talking stories work best. Wow. <laughs> and then the day it launched, another reminder. And then like the evening of it launched, like this is the last time I'm going to ask, but, you know, push. And I think as small business owners, we love to help other small business owners. Yeah. But we do sometimes need to be told not just because we don't know what to say, but because we forget and because we're busy and yes. because we're doing stuff all the time. So I didn't probably gift as many books the first time around as I did the second time around. But I don't think I pushed my endorsers enough to say, can you say this? Can you say you're in it? Mm -hmm. And some of them did. Um, but the other thing is, is everybody focuses on the launch. You're always launching. You are always launching. Mm -hmm. You can't just push it for launch and then go, that's it now. Yeah. Because otherwise it just goes to the book graveyard. Like I, and this is actually, the irony is, is this is how I basically got onto your podcast. Two and a half years later, I am still promoting my book and I'm still sharing mm. my snail journey of me creeping forward. And it's those constant reminders to people to like, please keep sharing, please keep reviewing, please keep talking about it. Because your endorsers do it for launch and then again, mm. they're gone. I think you, everyone can relate to that with any kind of launch of like, you, you focus on the first day and also you focus so much on getting the thing done. Yeah. But actually that's only step one. Yeah. And I can imagine, especially when you're working with a publisher, the expectation yeah. might be, well, it's all up to them. Like I write the book and then I just give it to them. But actually as small business owners, as content creators ourselves, like your audience are going to be the market for it. Yeah. So actually it's on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To an extent. And, to them and I think there's two things with that. One, whether you're with a big publisher or a small publisher, they don't have a huge amount of marketing budget and mm. it's very traditional. Um, and second of all, the mistake I made with my first book is my publisher was very keen to push you to be an Amazon number one in your category. Now, there's a way that lots of people manipulate this. They reduce their book on a Kindle price to a pound for a day. Then you can rise up the ranks to be like a number one on Kindle. And then you can be like, I'm an Amazon number one bestseller. So if you're in a niche category like public relations, for example, which yeah. doesn't move very much the churn in public relation books on Amazon. I can it's imagine. quite small. I'm always just hanging out with Seth Godin. <laughs> Me and Seth are always like dancing around each other. So I held back pre-sales for the day of launch because I wanted to be an Amazon number one bestseller. Right. Not realizing that actually when you're in a niche category, you probably only need about 30 purchases to be number one in their category. So 20 minutes on launch day, I was already number one. And then that first month, I did over a thousand books in the first month of Hype Yourself. I think I did about a thousand one hundred in the first month. Had they have all been pre-sales, I would have been a Sunday Times bestseller because the minimum amount the day my book came out was 1,100. Wow. But because they were spread out, it doesn't count. Interesting. So your pre-sales count for the Sunday Time bestseller list, which is done weekly. So, so it counts everything. Pre-sales count in that first week of yeah. sales because technically that's when yeah. they come to So it, you'll see it? lots of people who are Sunday Time bestsellers, but for one week only, and then they fall off the chart again. Because of pre-sales. Yeah. Interesting. So that's how you do it. What did you learn? Because I've realized I've not even given any context. You've written two books. Yeah. Your first book, Hype Yourself, came out in 2020. Yeah. Your second book that you co-wrote yeah. with your husband came out in 2021, yeah. Brand Yourself. Yeah. Did you kind of get a chance with the second book to almost go, right, let's take all the lessons from book number one and do it a bit differently? Kind of. Uh, but again, I kind of rested on my laurels a bit. I thought, oh, there's two of us. I've got a bigger follower now. I've got a bigger audience now. Like mm. When I started promo for Hype Yourself, I had a thousand followers on Instagram and I posted a free tip or piece of advice every single day for a year. Wow. Which got me up to about four or 5,000 by the time Hype Yourself came out. And then off the back of the book, I kind of went up again. Can I just interject sorry, and say, yeah. what a great example that you don't need a massive audience to get a book deal? No, yeah, as I well. didn't. Because I think that can be a misconception of like, oh, nowadays it's all about follow account. Right. And I'm not and like popular. I'm not one of the popular <laughs> girls on Instagram. I'm just a geek and I stay in my geek lane. Like, I just talk about PR, that. behind the scenes and small business. Like, I'm not the, I'm not getting picked in the school playground to do the modeling competition, you know? Do you think it's <laughs> I'm not the making the Spice Girls karaoke <laughs> competition. <laughs> You're not making up the dances? No. no. I'm just there on the side of stage carrying the costumes. Yeah. I was watch I was probably the one filming the dances. Yeah. That's the Chris Jenner of the group. Just there like, you go girls, crack on. Do you think it's the book that's kind of helped you to grow? 100%. Because you're not on 1,000 followers anymore. No, I'm on... 
13.5. I've been dancing on 13.5 for like two years. That's me at 12.6. Every now and again, it goes down to 12.5. Yeah. Like, 13.5, I just can't get beyond 13.5. And actually, there's a, I mean, this sounds a bit silly, but in a way, I kind of miss having the two, 3,000 where I felt like I really knew everybody. Yeah. Sometimes now I get lost and I'm also like, it's weird when I see like lots of people watching my stories, for example, where occasionally I do do like a personal behind the scenes and I'm like, oh, I'm kind of just, broadcasting to strangers this actually feels a bit weird yeah you kind of forget like I see a number like a thousand my brain I think has stopped computing what that number actually means and like a thousand to me is just it's a couple of people and then I start scrolling and I'm like you're all people I don't know yeah oh that's someone I went to school with that I've not seen in years that's just read that about yeah what I had for breakfast yeah yeah when you think about it really bizarre yeah it's really weird yeah the book the first book definitely built up my profile and I think I also did a lot of free stuff for my first but I did loads of free talks loads of free events mm. and actually that was my biggest new business driver so I kept on doing them and podcasts worked really well I think when people hear you you know they're quite often listening in the car or in the bath whilst they're cooking dinner so it's a yeah. more intimate space so actually for me podcasts and speaking opportunities are the best things in my PR artillery for hitting my business goals mm. not pitching to a journalist I do, and I do pitch to journalists still because I'm like, I still need to demonstrate, like, girls still get it. Uh-huh. Not, not too old, still get it. <laughs> yeah, your own case study. But it doesn't necessarily do huge amounts. Interesting. Like, I got a big piece in the Times last week, chunky, probably the biggest piece I've ever had on my own business. It was 800 words. That, mm. That's like PR primetime real estate. I was very nervous about it coming out. It came out, plugged the business, plugged both the books. A bit of the Amazon North Central line went up, but not as much as, say, when somebody who is directly related to my field promotes it. I find that really interesting. And I've had experiences like that where I had a piece in the Business Insider that I was like, this is, this is, this it. is it. Look out, because here I come. Yeah, completely. I was like, <laughs> Beyonce songs on, wind machine ready, like Thursday morning, here I am. Yeah. Even, and even like another, I had a piece in The Times. It was, wasn't about marketing specifically, it was about my business. I remember thinking like, this is it. Yeah. And still to this day, about 30% of my inquiries state that they found me through a podcast that I did three years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was really niche, never been in the charts but just has a really relevant audience. I think it's the biggest myth that getting massive piece of publicity are gonna be a silver bullet mm. for your sales overnight. I will, however, say if you're a product-based business, getting on something like This Morning or you know, getting on one of those bigger morning primetime TV or Steph's Pat Lunch, something like that. Yeah. That can, that can definitely, you know, there's all these stories of like people getting on the Oprah Winfrey show. Actually, another PR gave me this anecdote. She's called Ronky, Ronky Law. There's this whole thing of like people getting on Oprah and then going bust because they can cope with the amount of traffic coming to them after wow. appearing on Oprah. That's very cool. But yeah, so for me, I think even with my clients, it's a great kudos to be like, I've been in Forbes, I've been in Stylist, I've mm. been in this. But if your business goal is to make financial sales in any way. And reach new people. Yeah, it's not necessarily the one. Mm. It's just good brand building. And mm. actually PR and brand are so intertwined. Yeah, and, and it's, marketing, it's and like it's, they're all the... And it's just, they're just little markers. Like for me, one of the hardest things about PR, whether it's for myself or a client, is you're only as good as your last piece of press coverage. Yeah. So yeah, it's great. I got the times, but now what am I going to do? But actually, yeah, going back to your point, the biggest driver for my first book was from a very, very small marketing person, small Facebook group, small Instagram, less than a thousand, small newsletter, less than a thousand, produce the most sales. So interesting. So I think there's something to be said. It's the geeks will win. I mean, look <laughs> at Zuckerberg. Like we the, need to get a badge. Yeah, the, the, the geeks, geeks will win. Yeah. So oh, that's why I'm like, if you really geek out in the space you're in, mm. don't worry about the follower numbers. As, and I know it's easy for me to say when I've got 13 and a half on Instagram, but actually like, it's my newsletter, the really unsexy bit that I've been growing for like a few years. That's the one that has the most traction. Yeah. That's really interesting. And they even stuff like I did when lockdown happened, I think there was this thing where all the service providers suddenly got this like memo where like, quick, we've all got to do free things. And I started to do free talks on how to PR yourself in the pandemic. Literally like two weeks ago, I got booked for a job. Didn't actually end up happening, but I was approached to do a job. Yeah. It was the most I'd ever been offered as a day rate for a fee for a day to talk about like publicity. And I was like, how did you find me? And she's like, oh, you did a free talk two years ago. Mm. So that's why like, you never know. So it can be 
so disheartening when you're on Instagram at the moment to be like, no one's engaging and no one's sharing. Yeah. But it doesn't matter which platform you're using. Just keep like doing those little markers because you never know who's watching. Yeah. And you're sowing seeds, right? Yeah. And there's always those silent watchers and listeners and you don't believe they're there until you get that piece of evidence yeah. of someone saying, oh, yeah, I heard you on that thing that was two years ago. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Oh, I really loved it, by the way. And you're like, well, you didn't tell me that at the time. Like, yeah, you yeah, just yeah. sat there loving it and you had no clue. Yeah, yeah, Such yeah. a good reminder. So did you notice or have you noticed since launching both the books that that's a real challenge then is to kind of keep that promotion yeah. and that energy up and kind of keep sowing those seeds? Yeah, because the, the golden rule of marketing is promote one thing. Promote one thing well and the rest will follow. That is the golden rule. So when you've got like two books and some online courses that match the PR and some that match the brand, yeah. but you also do teaching, but you also do consulting and you also do workshops. <laughs> like that's a lot of things to... And if we're confused, yeah. everyone else is going to exactly. be so yeah, So yeah, I'm trying to work out how to kind of like sort of streamline it. I think you've marketed your book so creatively I mean that's like you said how this podcast came about is that and I remember like just over the years I've just kept seeing you like on my Instagram explore page or someone resharing something <laughs> and first of all your branding so recognizable yeah. that it builds that kind of brand recognition but also the way you talk about it is so fun like <laughs> I've seen so many graphics of yours where you'll put like what was the one you did recently that was not mocking but for the Queen's Jubilee they'd like projected the <laughs> royal family onto Stonehenge so then so you we, made a we project we yeah photoshop is Adrienne's territory my <laughs> husband so yeah I quite often will be like we'll mock up that or like we had um we replaced Kim Kardashian's um handbag when she was at the you know when she was wearing the full black yes mask so we replaced her black handbag with like my book to be like on the red carpet so we do I fun stuff that. like that and actually for me those are fun so then it doesn't feel like I'm selling I'm just yeah. like having a laugh but actually the one that was most popular recently and this is only happened because somebody pointed it out to me I stayed in the Hoxton Hotel like two years ago. I took myself for a staycation for 24 hours. Amazing. But whenever I go anywhere like that, I stuff copies of my book into the bookshelves. So I shoved one in my room because there was bookshelves in the room and one in the library in the front. And somebody was sat out the front in the cafe and saw my book on the bookshelf. And I was like, there you go. Like two years later, it's still working. I love that. Although I was slightly disappointed that no one had nicked it. But I was like, okay, it's fine. You um, have to think they enjoyed it so much they thought I have to leave it have here to for leave someone it else here. to enjoy it. And so I shared, you know, like a really easy way to do experiential marketing for your book is just to leave it in the places where your audience is. And for me, my audience, although is small business, I would say if we had to then drill down on my audience mapping, it's probably mm. people in the creative entrepreneur space. And my immediate circle was kind of East London creatives yeah. and creators and makers who are hanging out in those sort of places. So I was like, yeah, if you've got a niche, you know, if your book's about sewing, leave it in sewing clubs. Like if you go to Hobbycraft, yeah. throw it down the aisle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, just pop it in on the shelf. I and people that. were like, whoa, like it blew their minds. I was yeah. like, oh, okay, thanks. I should share more of that sort yeah. of stuff that I do. Yeah, because it can feel so dry when it's like, right, I've got a book. I could just keep posting pictures of it. Cool, I'm bored of that. Yeah. And I just think if, however you feel is always a sign of how your audience yeah, feel. Yeah, like yeah, you yeah. said, if it feels fun and exciting to you, it's likely going to feel that way to others, yeah. which is amazing. And I guess it's just thinking, how can I keep talking about this thing yeah. in a new way? And actually, so the second book, like one of the things I think I did wrong, if you will, is I didn't have a launch party because it was the end of the pandemic. It felt a bit weird. I felt a bit weird. Mm. Um, I really regret that now because actually getting a book out there is a huge achievement. So I think just even having a moment to market, like me and Adrienne went out for a nice dinner, which was lovely. And I will remember that. But having this moment where you're with all of your friends and even an opportunity to bring all of your contributors together to thank your endorsers, it's mm. so nice to have like a moment. And with my first book, I was like, I am not having a glass of Milo and some KP nuts in the local bookstore. Like, no. Um, but I didn't have a huge amount of budget, so I actually sold tickets to my book launch. Love that. So then anyone could come. It wasn't invite only. And I used the proceeds from the ticket sales to hire a drag queen a DJ and the booze and we basically had like that a, is the best book launch party I had a vat heard. of like gin and tonic but so it was like the gin and tonic was we just like pre-made into a vat so you just poured it <laughs> amazing and um and then we had some like um some of my like former clients were like kombucha or like cold pressed juice brand so they gave me some at cost price because I asked them if I could get some at like wholesale 
And so I just sort of navigated it that way. So I basically broke even on the book launch. And then I had somebody lent me an iZettle for the evening so I could sell copies on the night and sign them, like personalize them. So that felt like really fun. And actually mm. when I look back at the photos, it's you know really fun looking at a room full of my friends and business colleagues like waving their hands at a drag queen. Mm, that is so much fun. Yeah. I love that. Not your typical satin rose. No. Sipping on a... I was like, yeah. no one wants to hear me read from this. I don't. I didn't read my first book until I got my audio deal. So this is another thing. Lots of people, if you're with a big publisher, audio deal's guaranteed. I was with a small publisher, so it was not. Interesting. And so my the podcast I really wanted to be on was Creative Rebels. And they literally didn't know me, didn't like me. I mean, they might not have, they didn't know me. So didn't like you. They didn't like me. What an assumption. They didn't know me. They didn't, they didn't have, they didn't have the opportunity to like yes, me. Yes, exactly. And I remember first approaching them and being like, I've got a book. Like you interview authors, I've got a book. And they're like, we don't read. We only listen to Audible. And I was like, okay. What so, a ballsy reply from yeah. them though. Like, I mean, so it was, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, but yeah, um, yeah. So that was they my- They prefer it in an audio medium. So that was, I think the first time I approached them, I was like, how do you pick? And they were like, mainly authors. I was like, oh, okay. And then I came back, I was like, I got a book. <laughs> no, okay, so that was the second name. And then after, I can't remember the exact timeline, but there was a tipping point where I'd sold enough copies that I'd got on the radar of an audio rights distributor who bought the audio rights. I got another little advance. That nice. was the first advance I got, the little advance of the audio rights. And then I recorded it, and that was the first time I'd read it after it going out, because I couldn't bear. I was like, wow. if I find a mistake, I can't deal with it. And I also just thought, oh, I didn't change my mind, but I changed, I think my tone of voice can get quite inflected by who I'm listening to or who yeah. I'm reading at the time. And sometimes I read something and I cringe a bit. Yes. And I was like, I don't want to read this back and cringe. The audio version came out and I was literally tagging them in the podcast studio. Being like, I'm coming That's for amazing. you. I'm coming They're for gonna you. They're going to start thinking like, Lucy just shapes her business plans based on uh, how to podcast. get on a podcast. Yeah. You're like, right, I've got a book and I've got an audio. <laughs> the moral of the story is I got on a year and a half later. She did it. And I became friends with them and actually it was a slow process and I think that's this thing of like I saw them as this huge big pedestal of like I can never get on there they've mm. got Seth Godin they've got Emma Gannon they've got Daniel Priestley they've got all these really famous writers who am I yeah and actually that's like the ego in reverse like I don't sit alongside them mm. and then I was like well actually I do on Amazon and actually I do sometimes like I'm next to Emma Gannon in a stylist career book list yeah so actually I do so I'm gonna I'm gonna like Go for mm. it. So I think that sort of setting a dream big for yourself is yes. also really important. And with the second book, I quite publicly talked about how I was going to try and become a Sunday Times bestseller. I completely failed. And I was like, this is great. Now I can talk about how I completely failed at <laughs> This will it. get way more engagement yeah, people, than talking about doing people it. People love failure way more than success. Yeah. So I just share all my fails. And that's why I think <laughs> I'm so popular. It's I'm just so dreadful though. at it. <laughs> Keep being bad. As soon as I start succeeding, it all fails. No, I love that though. Because, and we talked about this before the recording, like the book space especially yeah. is so shrouded. You don't know what anybody's selling or how many they're no, selling. Even you saying like, okay, you've got to sell, and I think the new figure's around 1,500, isn't it? 1,500 copies within a week to be in a chance of being on the bestsellers list. Yeah. Even that, I'm like, all right, that's yeah, something yeah. I had no clue about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what about, and you can talk about to whatever depth you want to, the financial side yeah. of writing a book, because I know we've already talked about the benefits are so much more than that, but obviously being paid for your time is, I'm sure, still part of it. Yeah. Your first, did, did your book deals differ at all, number one versus number two? No. In fact, it's so weird. We never even discussed it with them, but or me and Adrienne or me and the publisher, but they just pay me for the second one. <laughs> Does he not get paid for it? He gets paid, he's my employee. <laughs> my gosh, that's amazing. Take a bit off the top. He's on PAYE, babe, so <laughs> it's fine. He gets his cut. <laughs> You should just tell him sales. Oh, sales are a bit low this month. Babe. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Keep a bit to the side. Yeah, he's, he'll get what he's paid on POA and be grateful. Yeah, it's yeah, fine. yeah. He's put in his work. He'll get paid for um, it. But you were paid royalties, right, with both of those Yeah, books. and we... So some people get paid the advance, so it might be like five grand advance. So then the anticipation is you're going to sell 5,000 copies in a year, so you might not then get any more money for a year. So that's about a pound per book. Yeah, that's good. Wow. That's good. I get about, I get just over a pound per book. I think I get about £1.33 per book. And how much does it sell for? £14.99. But it's not, that's, that's the crazy. recommended retail price. Right. So somebody like Amazon or bookshops, they can sell it. After they bought it, of course, they can sell it whatever price they like. Okay. But regardless of what they sell it at, you would 
still get? No. No. Wow. But And then other people, so other writers I know, they might get a big fat paycheck at launch, mm -hmm. but lots of bookshops have books on sale in return. So if the books don't sale, they return them. So then those returns are then maybe deducted from your next payment. Right. But I don't seem to have that. Some authors have that. Yeah, that's so really interesting. So you can never really kind of predict. And I'd imagine from what I've seen, those bigger authors or people who've maybe, you know, had massive books in the past, they will get those big advances. Yeah. But I guess if you're maybe expectations wise, if you're starting out in writing a book or maybe you haven't got that track record, actually maybe it might be more that it's only once it's launched yeah, yeah, yeah. that you make the money from it. I mean, I've got a friend who has sold like 40,000 copies of their business book mm. and they get paid like two and a half grand a speaking gig. I've just made 5,000 sales after two and a half years. Mm. Guess what? I'm not getting paid for a speaking gig. <laughs> <laughs> two and a half, yay. That's so interesting though. And I appreciate you even just like sharing some of those numbers because I think it's Fame, the and that's like globally, like being shipped, sh being shipped on the shipping chain, <laughs> um, like doing like big, it's the US circuit. If you can get on the US speaker circuit, that's where, you, that's where the big kahunas are. Mm, but as we said, it's about so much more than that. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. That's where the ego kicks in. My ego wants to say I'm a Sunday Times business bestseller. My mm. ego wants that so bad. But I think some Sunday Times business bestseller books are crap. And they don't actually help. And is it better to actually genuinely help people with no money to learn how to build their brand and then promote it? Yes. Yes. It's not always as gratifying, but it's it's like the popular kid versus being the geek. Yeah. We kind of always want to be the popular kid, but we know it doesn't last. That's it. We and know that. And that's the thing. It's that con I feel like I'm 39. I'm like, I still have to kind of remind myself. It looks nice, but it's not real and it mm. doesn't last. It genuinely means nothing. Yeah. Like what what changes from being like tangibly yeah. nothing? Be like, the geek. Yeah. That's the purpose. <laughs> we honestly need some merch here. We do. Soon. I know this will be our new Third side hustle. coming. Yeah. <laughs> like yourself, brand yourself. Geek yourself. Geek yourself. <laughs> Heard it here first, exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. There's always a moment in a podcast episode where I get a bit existential. And for me, it's always just the phrase of like, will I remember this on my deathbed? Will yeah. this be what I'm thinking? No. No. And like you said, it is about impact. And when you think about the real benefits of a book is as we've said and as you've demonstrated everything that comes off the back of it well what's going to be the best way to get follow-on opportunities for the book to be really damn good yeah like if the book really changes an element of someone's business yeah then they're going to think gosh if lucy can do this in a book think what she can do working one-to-one -one with you <laughs> yeah, yeah or yeah. in a course so you know there's real purpose and value in it being good and i think it's that thing of like even on both days I've launched the book, it's actually quite a flat day. It feels quite weird. Mm. You feel, I thought I was going to feel like Christmas Day of like, it's here. And I'd be like jumping out of bed and I'd be running a musical. Actually, it's quite a weird feeling. It's so much work. Um, and I guess because you have pre-orders and advanced copies, launch day is actually this really weird thing. She's like, well, actually it's out there and I've already seen it and other people have seen it. It's yeah. sort of not really. And you've already had the excitement of announcing it. It's yeah. not like that's when you tell yeah. people it's not like you're putting a curtain on your own shop and then going you can buy it now like mm. it, it's just it's very strange um but actually the moments where maybe somebody sends me a dm and it's like a single mum that's created a business and she's just got onto like red magazine's instagram page and that's tripled her sales overnight mm. like that's a good feeling that's what makes that's what yeah. matters and i was looking through your amazon reviews just kind of in prep for this conversation. And there were just so many on both of your books that were like, like this has literally changed yeah. my business. Or I think there was one that was like, I just wish I could sit Lucy and Adrian down and just <laughs> say like, thank you. And I just read them and thought, gosh, that must be so gratifying. Yeah, I'm not I'm not very good at actually sharing that my marketing fails. I'm not very good <laughs> at sharing the endorses and the word of mouth. But there was definitely a point, brand yourself, I did really try and push it as much as I physically could. And then there was basically heaps of distribution issues because we were at the end of the pandemic. So I was literally getting flooded with DMs on the day of launch saying, "My, I've been told, because everybody went on Amazon. So everybody was like, Amazon, how many copies? They said, can I cancel the order? So I'm going to cancel it and try and get it elsewhere. But other retailers didn't have it in because they underestimated any need for stock. To Amazon. But also because there was no pre-order. So pre-orders count for retailers to think, oh, there's a demand here, I'll get it in. Hardly any retailers pre-ordered. So then it went out. So on pre-orders, 
we initially were told that we'd done like 6,000 or something on pre-orders or something insane. So I was like, we are we are we're definitely going to do this. We're going to do this. It's done by the quarter and the quarter finished at the end of September. My book came out September the 7th and we only sold 100 copies. But I know we sold more than that. I know we did because I saw the pre-orders, but because they hadn't been fulfilled, Nielsen Bookscan, who records book sales, doesn't register them. And then you get your statement six months later. So when we were in France, I definitely had this day. I was like, all that work. And we sold 100 copies. Yeah. All that promo, all those Instagram posts we mocked up, everything we did, 100 copies for the first month. I was like, Argh. I was like, that's worse than hype yourself. And that must be hard with it being the second book yeah, as well, yeah. because the expectation is always. I was like, there's two of us, better. my audience is huge. And actually, we had sold more than that, but it was delayed. So mm. when I you look at the numbers in, from October to December, I can't remember the exact, but it was pretty close to a thousand or definitely maybe it was like 800 900 basically we would have been close had they have all landed in pre-sale yeah so it was disheartening but at the same time I was like you know what that's still really good numbers and I know some business people where they literally just write a book and they just post it out for free and they just use it as a new business tool and I'm not even that sure they care about the end user mm. whereas I was like all of these people who've got this especially brand yourself we worked so much harder on the workbook for that it's all in one sheet and you literally can go through your strategy, choose your fonts, choose, and you've then got that for your business. So if anybody else joins, Amazing. you've got a brand Bible made. Mm. It's like this is gold dust. Yeah, the impact of that is huge. Is there gonna be a third book? <laughs> Not right now. Okay. I actually pitched the proposal for Brand Yourself after I was on holiday with Adrienne and had a couple of too many wines. Because I was like, the problem with like PR is everyone thinks you need a press release. And the problem with branding is everyone thinks you need a logo. And Adrienne was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, we need to do a book to promote your stuff. Yeah. Let's do your one next. That was where it came from. I love that. Most good things, I think, come from just a little bit of intoxication. <sighs> You haven't heard that here first. I'm not sure that's the legacy I want to leave in this world, <laughs> is that statement, but... Co-writing was a whole other experience. I can imagine. Because you also work in business together, right? Yeah. So you're co-parents, yeah. co-habitors, is that yeah. right? You co-habitors, live together, yeah. and you have a business together, yeah. and you've written a book together. Yeah. I mean, how was that as a process? We had a VA at the time who I would say is cheaper than a divorced lawyer. <laughs> so it meant I could kind of separate. And actually, like he's French and dyslexic. He wouldn't necessarily write it was more I would say this is the section send me your audio note right and then he would send me his audio note and then I would type it up in my tone of voice mm. so essentially he's the brain of the second book and I'm the brawn I like that that sounds like a good team yeah. effort he just didn't always send his words back in time for the day that I'd sit down to write and so right. then there would be a kind of early morning domestic conversation I can imagine yeah it was tricky. It yeah. was tricky. But I guess you, like every relationship challenge, if it doesn't break you, it somehow makes you stronger. Yeah. yeah. And now you've got three babies. Yeah. Well, we've got a dog as well. So I'm like, <laughs> that's another one. There's enough things going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So your first book's just hit 5,000 sales. Yeah. Which is super Print, exciting. just print. We've just gone, print. Just done more in digital. And your own sales as well don't count within No, that, so it? anything I've bought or sold off my own website doesn't get registered as that. Mm. So we've probably... And any like corporate sales I've done, which has not been many. Um, so yeah, we're, we're probably, we're, pro- we're definitely way comfortable over the 1,000 print mark now for that. 1,000 mm. or 5,000? Sorry, 5,000. I was going to say. And then, and yeah, and then I'm clawing my way up to 300 reviews on Amazon for that one as well. Amazing. So if anyone's listening who has read the book, yeah. go and leave a review. Yeah, please leave a and review. And if you haven't read the book, buy the book yeah. and then leave a review. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Because there are some amazing reviews on there. Yeah. Sometimes I try and find bad reviews and I couldn't find any for your book. <laughs> I think there was, I think there were, a f- I mean, I've definitely got a, a few three stars on both of them and obviously you read them. But I'm like, oh, it's okay. It's right. I think on one of them, somebody was like, it's very simplistic. And I'm like, that's the point. That is the <laughs> Did point. Did you read the blurb? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no nonsense DIY. <laughs> Come on. What were you expecting? Yeah, that's this is not meant to be here for a master's degree. It's jumping back a little bit in terms of maybe more the process of getting a book, but just what you were saying there of kind of, you know, what other people think. Did imposter syndrome at all play a role <laughs> in writing a book? Did it, was it a bit, you know, who am I or or did it feel right? I don't think you should have had imposter syndrome to clarify. No, I, I have a really funny thing about imposter syndrome. I don't get it. Like, as in, 
I've only ever worked in PR mm. and I've worked with loads of people, with loads of clients, big and small, and I've taught loads and I've been taught how to teach. Yeah. So I'm like, if I don't know how to write a book on how to do this, what the hell have I been doing <laughs> with my life for the last 20 years? Everything has been a lie. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's kind that. of how it felt. Like it was a bit like, not, I definitely didn't think it's going to be the best piece of literature. Mm. I was worried about my style of writing. But, I, but that was probably more, it was probably more the writing, like, m am I a good writer? Was yes. probably, that was the imposter. Yeah. And that was probably from a school thing. But I've realized that I just try and write how I talk, whether that's on Instagram, whether that's on LinkedIn. I joke quite a lot about people who say, I'm excited, delighted, <laughs> or thrilled on LinkedIn. And then yeah. somebody goes, no, but I do say I'm delighted, or I do say I'm excited. And I'm like, that's fine if you do. Do you genuinely enter your kitchen in the morning and go, kids, I'm just delighted to announce yeah. that it's your PU day yeah, yeah, at yeah. school today. In like, no, yeah. Yeah, I but I feel it. like there's so much... LinkedIn is probably the worst of like this kind of corporate speak mm. of when people like come into the room. Yes. So I was just like, I'm just going to write the book how I talk. And actually the first iteration had loads of swear words in the org. The or, editor had a field day with yeah, that one. Yeah, she was like, no. Um, and also because I remember at the time my publisher, Alison, was like, read other people's books who like match the kind of tone of voice you want to emu emulate. Mm. And I think at the time I was reading Calm the Fuck Down or one of the fuck, one of the fuck books, yeah. which obviously had the word fuck in it a lot. So I was you obviously just like, really on that energy. I was like really just like swearing left, right and center. <laughs> and they were like, Those people don't really like it. And I was like, okay. I had this really good phrase from Alice at the Step Up Club. And she was saying, particularly as women, we, there's sort of this first hurdle where we like are just shouting about what we've done. Like that's a struggle. And then we're not even talking about what we want to be doing next. Mm. So for me, after the book, it was like, actually, what do I want next? Like, what do I need to be talking about next? Yeah. And I think when it comes to putting the, I know so many people who just struggle to even put the spotlight on what they've achieved. Mm. And for me, I counter that by sharing a lesson. So it's not like, look at me, I've made 5,000 book sales. It's, hey, look, it's taken me two and a half years to do this. Mm. This is how I've done it, broken down geographically this is what a good person's supposed to look like. Yeah. This is how I've been doing it. And I'm always very matter of fact about it. And it's probably the thing that my family hate about me the most is that I'm like super direct and to the point. And then and they're literally like, I hate it. But I'm like, this is sort of like how I am yeah. in my work. And it's what makes me a good PR. Like if somebody, if a client, doesn't matter what their budget is, if they're like, this is a great idea and I don't think it is, I won't do it. I mm. won't do the work. Because I'm like, if I don't believe in it or I don't think I can do a good job on it, I'm not gonna, not gonna do it. So yeah, so basically, no, I didn't think <laughs> I didn't have the imposter syndrome about the content. Probably just my writing ability. Yeah, I can appreciate that. I think especially when you're used to working, I always say, joke to people like, I'm way better at speaking than writing. Mm. And if you think that's what we're doing most of the time, isn't it? Is we're speaking. And mm. for me, writing expertise feels. You're right. There's this almost like professionalism that I, I jump mm -hmm. into where I'm like that's not what people like in the way that you know I think the spaces that we're in part of why people might resonate with the way that we share is that we share maybe quite boring things yeah. that maybe don't always make a lot of sense in a way that does make a lot yeah, of sense yeah, yeah and actually going back to your first question of like why aren't more of us like writing yeah. I think it probably is because writing that amount sounds huge mm. but the reality is actually if we collect all our Instagram captions together it's probably the same amount of words yes you shared a great tip which <laughs> I loved which was instead of seeing it as a whole book yeah think of it just like lots of little blog yeah, posts yeah, yeah. and that was such a light bulb moment for me because I never went to university so I've never written essays never done a dissertation I just you know it's an identity thing probably where I'm like I'm bad at writing even though it might not even be true and as soon as you said that I was like oh immediately that feels a lot more accessible yeah yeah yeah. because we all know how to write okay I want to write a blog post on how to get press for your event yeah okay I can write that yeah and then I'll just write the next one and then and I just did a lot of blog posts isn't I it? mean I'm still missing I when I think of it like that I'm like gosh there's actually so much content in both my books I could still carve up and promote in so many different ways I'm mm. not now which I should do, I should do. I guess it's it as well. It almost becomes your kind of content library. Yeah, too. yeah, it's, en it's endless. It's, it's endless. like you put everything from your head into a book and then the book becomes everything in your head and you can just refer back to it. Yeah. If anyone's ever like, what can you talk about? You're like, well, just pick a topic from my book. <laughs> yeah. That's my speaking, yeah, <laughs> speaking yeah, yeah. portfolio. I love it. Any kind of final thoughts you'd want to end on? Like if you were sat here with 
the you of 2019 <laughs> who was about to write that book proposal and write the book is there kind of one big lesson or something you wish you'd known at the start it's a really dull and boring one but it's just consistency like people think there's this big shiny big launch button and it's all like jazz hands and ticker tape and trombones and there is definitely an element of that but don't burn yourself out on the launch you need to leave enough left in the tank to keep going mm. and like I'm kind of proof like I'm still getting opportunities like even sat with you today yeah two and a half years after I launched that book I'm still getting opportunities from the book but it's only because I keep talking about it mm. so just you know you gotta keep that momentum up and keep talking I love that and if someone's listening to this thinking gosh I am just desperate to write a book I think yeah. it, you know I've got so much to share I want to have that accessible impact where would you encourage people to start I would actually go to the book proposal challenge that I did with Alison Jones mm -hmm. because it's a 10-day course she really helps you sort out the framework for your book proposal there's lots of other people that do it as well um I think hers is a little bit more now but it's still quite affordable um for what it is that you get you also meet other writers at the same stage um and I think yeah just get your get your proposal licked but also like you were saying go to bookshops, look at other books. Who do you want to be sat alongside? If you're looking at Fourth Estate and you think, do you know what, I should be a Fourth Estate publisher, go and follow the commissioning editors or the agents that work for them. I, I hear so many people, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's a book deal, whether it's Forbes, whether it's Good Morning Britain, whatever it is they want to be on. I'm like, are you connecting with any of the people who work at those entities on LinkedIn or on social? And yeah. they're like, no. <laughs> so just pick where you want to be and start taking connecting steps. Mm, and I love that because that immediately makes it feel more accessible. Mm. Like don't sit back and wait for a book deal to fall. It might, it, it might, it might. But if you want it, you can go after it yourself. And I think the book deal's more likely to fall if you start taking those connecting steps yes. to get there. Yeah, completely. I've loved this. Thank <laughs> you so much. We were meant to talk about PR as well, but I was just... I mean, we can't. We got there. There was PR. Well, do you know what? Since if they want to learn about PR, yeah. they can just go and buy a <laughs> There we go. Yeah. I will link both of your books in the show notes along with that course as well because that yeah. sounds like a really good place to yeah, start yeah. it's a great to kind of give place. you I guess that clarity and confidence got you me need to where to. I am now there you go. and hey they could win the competition and become yeah, yeah. an author alongside you yeah and your publishers yeah I love that so people watch this space for um geek yourself coming out in 2023 <laughs> <laughs> Lucy's latest announcement and um yeah this is us I hate ending podcast episodes <laughs> do you want me to wrap it up yeah could you thanks so much for having me subscribe review see you next week on the podcast I always forget that at the end <laughs> I don't actually you know those people have that really professional outro of yeah. like do this and this and this I usually just end by being like see ya and then my editor's like could we go for a more strategic ending please <laughs> you are a marketing not. person do you have a call to action go and buy Lucy's book no, your call to action oh well it's your episode so you can buy your book <laughs>